Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm both perfect and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we are learning from Angela de Klerk, or as I know her, Angela Japangela. Because Angie used to be in a band called Japan and I, which if you are uh, of my generation, <laughs> if you're around my age, you almost definitely remember Japan and I. They were, they did the things, man. They were in the magazines, they were on the radio, they were on TV, they played all the big music festivals in South Africa. And yeah, man, they had a really dope run. And we're definitely one of my favorite bands. They used to come down to Durban fairly regularly. They definitely toured like a ton. And that's how that's how I got to know them. That's how I got to know Angela and Didi and Mandy. And uh, the, the fourth unofficial member, I think, of Japan and our little beau. And we used to have some great fucking times together when they came down. So this was wonderful, man. Like, this was such a cool catch-up. Especially since Angela wasn't necessarily you know, super keen to do the interview. I think she was keen. She was just a bit nervous. I guess we chat a little bit about it at the end. But yeah, man, she's one of my favorite vocalists. Just like straight up, like no qualifiers to that. She's one of my favorite vocalists. Absolutely love her voice. And it's been cool to see her career evolve over time. Because since Japan and I, she's been uh, in a group called Rambling Bones, which is head up by Jay Bones from Fuzzy Gush and also West of the Moon, which is a jazz duo that she's a part of. And we'll chat about it in the podcast, but it's, you know, one of the things I admire about Angie is, yeah, she's always worked on her craft. And over the years, like, she only got into, so West of the Moon's like a jazz duo. And she only got into jazz vocals fairly late in her career, like after like a decade of being in bands and that, so that she decide, hey, I wanna, I wanna level up a bit. I wanna try some different shit. I wanna see just what I can do with my voice. And that led to a lot of uh, <laughs> singing alone at home after getting some vocal lessons. But yeah, I'm, I'm telling you too much, I think. I'm telling you too much. But like I say, this is, yeah, really dope conversation. We also chat about uh, Angela deciding to become a yacht stewardess in her 30s to try and supplement being a musician in South Africa. So we we chat about what that experience is like and how she's trying to find a balance between making money and making music. Because it turns out those two things are mutually fucking exclusive, unfortunately, for a lot of people. And yeah, man, fuck, I don't even know where to go with that. I will try not to bring you all down. Because <laughs> for the most part, it's a, as I said, it's a, it's a really fun chat. But yeah, I guess I need to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by you, which means you can support it by going to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. You can also go to almostperfect.co.za, click on the merch tab and buy yourself a t-shirt, a sweater or a mug. And yeah, if you just want to just want to donate some money, there's a little zapper thing on the website too. You can just scan that, send me 10, 20 bucks. And that goes a long, long, long way. Like if everyone who listens to this podcast had to just swing a 10 or 20 here and there, I wouldn't have to consider going and working on the yachts as I'm staring down 40. Because yeah, this week was my birthday, was my 37th birthday on Wednesday. I'll chat to you properly about it at the end of the show and that, but I had a, I had a great day, man. It was, yeah, it was necessary in some ways because it started out like just me being mopey and depressed and just like, ugh, life isn't where I want it to be. I hate my fucking birthday. I don't want any attention today. All this dumb shit. And then I had some amazing people make me feel really good. Uh, most notably, my girlfriend, who took the day off work, and we went and had a lovely day. Like, we went and had breakfast on the beach, we went to the Durban Art Gallery, I took her to a dive bar in town <laughs> that is fucking dope, man. We bought, like, two drafts for 65 rand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why, why are these other places selling me drafts for 45, 50, 60 rand when I can go to town and get the exact same fucking beer for like, what, like a third less at least? 
But yeah, we did that at a sick fucking shawarma from Aladdin's. Aladdin's one of my favorite shawarma places in town. And I, I've been going there and it was amazing to see the place like without like a long line. So I was like, ah, let's let's quickly map a shawarma. And then, yeah, we did comedy. We did comedy at Aces Pizza, as we do every single Wednesday, which I hosted. And I had quite a fun time. So, yeah, we'll we'll chat a little bit more about that at the end. Other than that, I know there's probably some Joe Burgers listening to this, so come check us out at the Bioscope on the 30th of March. Once again, we'll tell you about the rest of that at the end. But now, though, here it comes. It's the Almost Perfect Podcast with Angela DeClerc. So how are you living, Angela? Hello. Thank you for asking, Bob. <laughs> I'm living very well, thank you. Um, just in Johannesburg at the moment, in between jobs so i have been enjoying uh, my third summer in a row oh wow yeah it's uh <laughs> it's uh it's a lot <laughs> i miss i miss the the seasons but yes I, I can't complain i mean it's kind of the best so yeah yeah, in some ways, it looks like you've been living the dream because in between jobs, you basically mean, you know, in between international tours, partially from your band. And then also, I guess we'll get into it just now, partially from working on yachts and uh, stuff like that. But how was the last tour? Because I saw you were playing with the Shabs over in Europe. Yes, exactly. I was, I joined them for a tour in November. Um, it just works out if I'm around and I can, then I do. So I feel very lucky in that regard. And yeah, it was incredible. We played shows in Czech Republic, Germany, and Austria this time around. And they were, yeah, they were great. People are awesome that side and very supportive of small bands. And yeah, it's great. And the folk punk kind of vibes. Yes, yes, very, very supportive. Like great communities. We get to play squats that side. And uh, oh, wow. Just, just see this very cool sort of leftist side of. Germany and whatnot, and yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. There's so much history there um, in these spaces, so it's, uh, yeah, I feel super lucky that I get this insight into, yeah, these sort of venues and and like movements, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it does help uh, expand your own <laughs> uh, political viewpoints, I guess, and also to see how things can actually work when it is like you know collective base and when it is squats and that. Because I know, you know, in South Africa, punks always kind of had a the veneer of middle classness <laughs> almost to it, you know? <laughs> True. Sure. Like, I know I got pretty disillusioned when I was young in the scene and that. And like, you know, I come from Ambilo and like grew up in a single parent home. And so like, I always related to punk because I thought it was, you know, a bunch of, you know, lower class kids. Cause that's kind of how it started, you know, busy just talking about how shit the world was. And then I remember, I'm not going to mention the band or whatever, but I remember going back to the one guy's place uh, from like a pretty popular Durban punk band and it was like a three-story house. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> it's not as relatable all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, got pretty disillusioned with that. It's also kind of interesting, I guess, with the Germany thing with their current politics, but that was just, you were there just a bit before everything that's been happening over well, in Gaza and Israel, yeah. Not necessarily. So that's actually really interesting to bring up because I was, you know, it's quite interesting coming from South Africa. Um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about fascism and like, you know, I don't know. But when you go there, there's just stickers all over the bathroom, Antifa, da da da. It's like you just see it all over the place, and. Um, it's like sort on your mind. So I was just like asking, you know, these uh, local Germans, you know, what is the vibe here? Like, why is it, are you still like feel like you're on the front lines fighting fascism? Um, I do struggle with that word. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, like from what it sounds like, you know, unfortunately, it is still something that pops up, you know, even in these small towns, there'll be these sort of just Nazi esque type people who will, you know, sort of, attack a punk or um yeah sort of have very like yeah there's it's a strong sort of movement there still i think it's still small but it's still there and i was quite shocked because you know you just think of germany like oh it's probably this progressive idyllic place that you want to move to to get a job you know so many people do yeah and then you find out actually there's this sort of there's all this sort of hateful movement still happening and then 
So then we were chatting to a beautiful friend of ours, uh, of the Shabs, who had been our tour manager uh, in the the tour that got cancelled by COVID. So this is 2020. But anyway, she, uh, I won't mention names, just, you know, and um, she was, uh, we were talking about the whole situation in Gaza and whatnot and how, yeah, just how incredibly awkward it is now to support Gazians, you know, for, as a German, because so many people see it as, of course, straight to anti-Semitic, and um, and yeah, the government's just cracking down on that side on anti-Semitism, and they've sort of lost the plot a little bit, you know, like yeah. um, so, and being like pro-genocide again, whoopsie. Um, so, <laughs> so it's just crazy because she's had like actual, you know, she's had people cancel work on her before just because um, she was pro-Palestine um, and they didn't, yeah. So it's just crazy. So it's it's very real there, you know. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about that, like, you know, especially with artists and stuff, you know, pro-Palestinian artists in Europe or in some, some European countries, like, yeah, being denied and like not getting visas and having stuff canceled. And it's so crazy because like for the rest of the world who's getting I guess a different media to what some of the West is getting, we see it completely fucking differently. But, you know, if your news sources and your governments and everyone's telling you like, this is the wrong thing, like it gets fucking like, it's hard to like for people on the ground, I guess, in those kind of spaces to really know what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we're not going to solve any of those crises with this chat. I don't think. Thank goodness. I was really sweating there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Although, actually, <laughs> actually, like this does like, bring, I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but for this interview, I've actually got one of the first interviews you guys ever did <laughs> with SL Magazine when uh, you were still 18. Wait, you guys obviously meaning Japan and I. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yes. Japan wow. and I. Yes. <laughs> Funnily enough, it was in the sex issue. <laughs> funny <Yeah. laughs> because you guys like as a band were one of the few that like didn't like use that at, well not one of the few but you know you didn't use that at all so i found that kind of ironic use what you mean the fact that it was the sex edition no well just sex in general like you know oh. like a lot of time women have to you know sell the whole sex side of things to actually get ahead or to be noticed and stuff like that and always kind of like found it cool that you guys were just fun and cute and like offered a different side of things. Oh, I'm glad that came across because, yeah, that was definitely never our uh, kind of, yeah, we we were always sort of trying to just be, not taking it too seriously and being fun was generally the Japan and I message. (laughs) I'm glad that came across. Okay, but the thing I did want to bring up, and this isn't like a gotcha because we can like discuss it, (laughs) but one of the funny things I found in it was uh, you saying that uh, we're not feminists and I hate when people who think it's cool to hate (laughs) Hate people who think it's cool to hate. Uh, that was one of the little quotes that they had uh, from you then. But this was when you were 18. We're so not I assume feminists. that's changed quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we don't think, we, we don't. So we must have thought that feminism was sort of hateful, I suppose, um, if I had to analyze. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because well, that is like also what the media kind of representation of feminism back in the day and still to some degree these days is it's that it's you know this curmudgeonly you know no fun no i don't know like it just has always kind of had some of a negative like connotation to it so i'm sure when you're younger you just wanted to be like we're not like those girls <laughs> uh, that's so fascinating yeah i mean this is yeah uh this is interesting to you <laughs> definitely feminist now um that's <laughs> that's changed yeah. <laughs> And I and I agree. I must have been, yeah, like this horrible connotation that was just these like hairy, angry women just being like, ah, we're like, oh, we're not them. We love everyone. Um, but no, I am now a hairy, ugly feminist um, <laughs> and <laughs> proud of it. Um, but yeah, I think it was just we were young, maybe. And hmm. but it's true. I do speak to people about sort of feminist, and I think so many people are feminists without realizing it because of that horrible connotation. Yeah. And you're just like, well, do you want women to get paid the same for the same job? Yes. I'm like, okay, well, then you're basically a feminist, I think. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's, that's the always the thing. It's like, how can you be anti-feminism? All it is is just saying, like, everyone should be equal. It's basic. Like, it's just fundamental. But, exactly. yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, what's your political, you know, what, what do you credit to your political learnings and stuff? I'm assuming being in the punk scene to some degree must have set you on the path. You know, I'll, I'll be honest and quickly give myself a little disclaimer here. Like, I'm not really very political in any re- real sense. Um, <laughs> I think I, I do my best. I, th- I think I don't ever research or know enough about any t- topic to feel uh, comfortable saying, well, this is what I believe and this is what I, um, I kind of just go on an intuition and be like, well, that feels right. And, you know, so I, I'm not a very staunch sort of <laughs> politically inclined person and I'm not always very clued up on the sort of, uh, yeah goings on i have a generally good idea i think <laughs> of what's <laughs> happening and a generally good idea of where i stand of course that would change you know when you learn more things but so yeah i guess i'm pretty i don't know i'm a very sort of open-minded free spirit so that's my politics <laughs> well i guess what i was just trying to get at is like yeah how was you know how did the punk scene like help you grow up i guess hmm, that's a good question um well, it's interesting because, you know, we, like you said, it was a very sort of middle class situation and we were all, we are all very white privileged sort of suburban kids, you know, in that scene. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cosplay. Yeah, so I think, I mean, but it still means something to, you can still, you know, you pull your own meaning out of that scene. You know, for us, it was like of the course. sense of community and belonging and sort of questioning the government and, you know, you grow, you know, you're young, so you're like fuck authority and you know of course that has more meaning when you let's say live in Palestine right now or you lived in you know the original sort of movement in the UK or whatever that you know of course they um and as like again white privileged South Africans it, it's not as easy to point to uh you know an obvious thing like but I guess if, yeah it was just like finding this music scene that felt like ours and it was so niche and it was so small um so it just felt like yeah something's amazing that we belong to you know and that's where we've made all our friends over the years and um so i i don't know and i think it just sort of teaches you yeah just to sort of question things and find do your own research and sort of get educated i would say it would be the overall uh sort of growing up in that industry as you know and also we like to go out and drink and have fun (laughs) (laughs) and it was just nice to find like-minded people and I mean that's my whole world was from the music scene growing up like it's everyone I know now still is from from that so you know it sort of shapes everything I guess yeah I mean it's kind of the same for me I still yeah like from back in the day most of those people are still a lot of them have been on this podcast as well you know and (laughs) It was very foundational and like for me, yeah, it's just that community aspect of things, regardless of, you know, class and that, because also, you know, it did cross class barriers and to some degree race barriers, but not anywhere near enough uh, back in the day. But I don't know, I've seen that's changed a little bit, but it was, I think for, it was a cool space for people who, yeah, even if you are white and middle class, still see things as being whack, you know, (laughs) still seeing like the status quo as being a bit fucked up and going like, well, this sucks. And for myself, I know, like, you know, I first heard about Noam Chomsky from No Effects. So <laughs> that's been mm-hmm. since then quite foundational. And like, you know, I've learned so much more. Like, obviously, Noam Chomsky's had a way big impact on my life since then, you know, No Effects did. But I always do credit to like a lot of those like anti-flag and No Effects and like Rage Against the Machine and all of that with like instilling just that fuck you attitude in me that's kind of been pervasive. <laughs> Exactly. No, I, I, that's exactly right. You know, and it was interesting because I actually encountered Noam Chomsky because I studied linguistics. So he was oh, like snap. a big deal in, in that as well. So it was like, yeah, what a what a great guy. That's fucking cool. Like both those things. I actually didn't know you studied linguistics. <laughs> I know. Crazy. It's a long time ago. <laughs> Don't test me on yeah. it. <laughs> I guess there's there's no real jobs in that though. <laughs> what <laughs> exactly? Well, I think if I stuck with it, you probably... It's like training AI back in the day. Oh, God. Sort of the thing to speak and look how far they've come. Yeah, in 15 years, it was just this like training computers to understand English. And now it's like, yeah, they're, they're it's way more advanced now. But I think that is that and forensics, which is would have been interesting. But What? Damn. Yeah, I think you can, because it's sort of like coding uh, for, yeah. Anyway, so I think... Uh, that could have been a direction, but I, you know, I was doing the whole other music thing. 
whole music thing. Mm. And uh, when did you realize you can sing? Because like you've been one of my favorite vocalists, like literally since the beginning, and you only got better as you got older. So oh, like, yeah, how did? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you know you know like I fucking love your voice, oh, but. Thank you. Imagine you've taken a bit of a journey with that. I have, I have. Um, I mean, I think I didn't. Yeah, I don't really know I could sing. I remember, you know, our friend Lauren. I remember that once yes. we did karaoke when little we were Bo, shout out. yeah, little Bo shout out. <laughs> we were doing karaoke once we were teenagers, and and then I think we did some sort of no darts or I don't know. I'm just a girl, sort of. Nice. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I, I remember I was just bolting it out. Um, and she was like, oh, you can actually sing. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can. I don't know. You know, it never really occurred to me. I think, you know, it just sort of happened. And then, of course, since then, I've put in a lot of work. Um, not so much in the Japan Night days. Um, mm. So it's really hard for me to listen to those recordings. But, um, really? But, well, no, no. I mean, no, no. I, this, I mean, yeah, I, I think you fucking killed it for how old you were at the time, especially, <laughs> and like how inexperienced. Like, that was the thing. Like, I mean, obviously, everything about the band, like, you know, I felt worked, but like, yeah, I was just like, fuck, that's some range right there. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's nice to hear. I mean, yeah, I think it was raw, you know, and that worked. Yes. Japan and I was very much not a non, yeah, it was just like, we just was the appeal, <laughs> I think, I think so, because, yeah, we weren't. Oh very educated musicians. I want Mandy had some. I certainly wasn't. Um, and <laughs> so I think it was more like warming up. Like I would destroy my voice after every show, you know, and, you know, we back in the day you'd gig quite a bit and then I would just not have a voice. So so I think eventually uh, I got help for that, just like simple warm-ups, uh, game changer. Um, Who did you get so help think, from? <laughs> eh? Who did you get help from? Oh, it was a, a family friend. She does like sort of public speaking and she's like, you know, girl, <laughs> you need some help. Like, so she gave me really simple stuff, um, way back when, cause it really is simple. You know, nowadays you just like YouTube vocal warmups and eat, but back then you just don't think about it. I don't know. I think I was still on sort of ADSL internet. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is, you know, I mean, I remember when, like, old days. Like- <laughs> I remember when the Zen of Screaming came out, like it was a DVD mm. that uh, that thing got copied and passed around like the whole of the Durban scene. <laughs> that was a hit. <laughs> that went around. <laughs> sure. I think that was great. But yeah, it's true because you were, there weren't no other many other resources at that time. You know, Now you think how easy it is, but I think this is pre-YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, early, like early, like YouTube wasn't what it was now. Basically. Yes, you're not going to get some friendly Canadian, you know, teaching you <laughs> anything. Like, like you can be the best that. you can be. You just got to breathe. And like. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, so yeah, I got help from that lady, and that really helped a lot. And then since, and then I I started doing more ambitious things. Much many years later, um, I was uh, learning jazz vocals, and that was very humbling. And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I really know nothing about anything." As uh, that can happen to you when you <laughs> embark on a jazz journey. And where'd you learn that? Well, it was a mixture of I went to some vocal lessons with um, this uh, lovely lady and uh, well, a few different people over the years. And that was really helpful. But then with jazz, it was sort of self at home, just, yeah, trying my best. Well, what the best was that I eventually teamed up with my friend Nick Rumpal to, you know, we have a little duo now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the best way to learn jazz is to, you know, play or anything to, to learn anything. You just have to do it. So, so then we started jamming and then I had to like get, try and get good enough very quickly to start playing live because that's sort of what I like to do mainly. So yeah, so I had to get good real quick. I had some help along from different people along the way, of course, Nick as well. Um, and yeah, these vocal teachers, but at the end of the day, you're just sitting in front of a piano or whatever, just like painfully trying to sort of understand these really bizarre harmonies that your ears not used to hearing if you're not brought up on jazz or anything like that. So. So that was a huge learning curve, um, which is cool. It was good to challenge myself so much later on in my <laughs> singing career. Well, when when was that? Ah, goodness, I don't. A few years ago, I must have been. You know, I'm not very good at keeping track. Um, I don't. Fair I, enough. Same. Must be about like, five years. Four. I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, so it is like really late in your career because that's like yeah. 10 years yeah. in at least. Yeah, because, you know, with Japan and I and Rambling Bones, it's always been sort of that raw sort of sound, well, at least for me. <laughs> I won't say that. You yeah, still do a lot with it, <laughs> but yeah, I get you. Like, but to actually hone something and, you know, like jazz is good for that because you really have to, you know, do the work. <laughs> you can't just rely on like, you know, a little couple of warm-ups and some natural talent. You know, it, ma- it makes you sort of be more disciplined, which I think is really good in any industry. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that the youth these days might not necessarily be as aware of <laughs> or like because of, you know, the instant gratification of the internet. Like yes. people will post themselves like, learning to do stuff which is cute and it's fun but at the same time it's like you can do i think you can do a lot more and get a lot better at stuff if you actually just sit at home and work on the thing without any intention of anyone ever knowing that you're doing it but that's true yeah but yeah we, we're just living in a very different age which i guess i could talk to you a little bit about how you're finding the social media age because like yeah from japan in our days you guys were in the media you know you were in Blunt Magazine, you were in SL TV, you know, you were on radio and everything like that. And now as a musician, your main ways of being heard are Spotify or Instagram. Yeah, it's an interesting journey to have experienced both, I guess. I can't say I've loved social media at all. Into Like, you know, <laughs> like I was one of the last people to get on Facebook. And then it was like, okay, this is useful tools to advertise shows. And then, of course, they brought in the algorithm and then you were paying for that same reach. You'd already earned your yep. 2,000 followers, a very modest 2,000. <laughs> and like now I have to pay to reach those 2,000, you know. So I just got, I mean, of course, you have to do it. You sort of feel like you have to do it. Um, but I, I didn't go in happily like, I love this new technology. Um, it's always been annoying. It's been uh, like something I have to do. I think I ha- we would go to shows and like, put out flies on people's cars, you know, and I, I would still yeah. actually prefer doing that, I think, than having to, you know, make a cool Instagram and like, yeah, Instagram post where you have to think of something fun and cool to say, you know, but it's, I don't know, for me, it's ne- that's not been my strong point. Let me put it that way. It's not my strong point working on those like platforms. Um, yeah, none of us have been really good at that. Actually, if I think about all the bands I've been in, none of us are great at that, except the Shabs. Shout out to them, those guys. Yeah, they um, know how they to do, do that shit well. <laughs> yes, they do it well and they're consistent. So, yeah, it is quite strange. I mean, you just have to, you obviously don't think of it about it when it's happening because you just live in life um, as things happen slowly. And then, yeah, 10 years in and you, uh, I don't know. I, for me, and that, and just seeing how, Things on Spotify, I mean, it's uh, it's not good. Yeah, it doesn't support artists at all. You know, when I see other, like, when actual artists who are getting thousands and thousands of views still can't make money off of Spotify or something like that, it's it's super tragic. So, but having now toured with the Shabs in Germany and let's say where they're obviously more affluent there and the support there on the merch and buying vinyls and everything is incredible. So, of course, that will always be the sort of the best thing. Play live, sell, you know, sell your music. Um, I think that will always be the, the best sort of way to do it. And it, like I said, there just works because even though you're playing in some tiny pub to a very tiny group of people, all of those people support you, you know, and it's amazing because they can. So, obviously, South Africa is different and we've all, yeah, you know, it's, it's way harder. Even me, I don't have the actual CDs of most of the bands I've loved in this country, you know, because I was also pretty broke most of my <laughs> 20s. And so That's why you become a music reviewer. You get them for free. <laughs> that, that was my <laughs> plan. Exactly. That's literally why I've got like still, I've still got your guys' CD, although I found that at Cash Crusaders a few years back. No way. Well, I'm sure yeah. have- Somewhere in my mother's garage, you know, let's just hand those out <laughs> if anyone's interested. <laughs> I'm sure some people would love that for for real. I got was, free you know, CDs for everybody. <laughs> it was interesting though, because like I was checking through, you know, YouTube and stuff, and like there's not a lot. Other people have posted your music videos and stuff on there, and just it was interesting seeing the comments and stuff like that, and people just being like, "Oh, this takes me back. This takes me back," and like. 
what was that like to be a part of a band that like people actually like liked and sang along to and cared about <laughs> and you know like showed up for um it's very special I, um i feel very lucky you know and you know i'm still besties with mandy and Didi, of course from japan and i um and it's it's amazing when someone you know and they're usually obviously older because we all are older <laughs> there's like a sort certain cutoff where <laughs> people are like who what band it's awesome when someone comes up and like says something or or yeah, an old friend who randomly heard it or came up on a playlist or something and they're like, oh, it's so rad to hear it. Of course, that's so special. It was like the best time of our lives. You know, we had so much fun. And like I said earlier, we made all our friends. So the fact that it takes people back and like hits a certain nostalgic points and that's good vibes, you know, that's the best, the best you can hear. Like living through it, like, was it any like pressure at all or anything like that? I mean, no, I mean, we, it was, you know, I think being young, there were certain like decisions we had to make along the way that now I look back yeah. and sort of chuckle at because we were like, I'm not going to sell out and all that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, just silly sort of things that we did. You know, it's just sad when you look back about all the magazines and MK and all these sort of platforms that existed then that did so much for us, which was amazing that don't exist anymore completely. So it, it's quite it's quite strange to yeah think back at that time you know we were so lucky to be on tv you know and to do all this you know all these interviews on all these different platforms um no no real pressure i think just pressure on yourself like i you know i wanted to do better do more i think mm. to tour more to try to overseas i mean we didn't manage to play on the uh what do they call it a primavera it's the so stage specifically for smaller bands around the world. I can't remember. So we did that and that was epic. So that's, I mean, that's a cool thing. It took you overseas and everything. Like, so that was your first experience. Like, but also like, what was it like touring, you know, with three girls, like, you know, young woman touring the country? Like, what was that experience and overseas? Oh no, that was the best. I mean, we <laughs> had, you know, <laughs> it was, we had the best time, man. Yeah. We got to go everywhere in the country. People, Everyone was really lovely to us. I can't say there was a huge amount of or sexism that we noticed. I think the only thing that bothered me back in the day was they'd call us a group. Some some people would call us a group instead of a band. <laughs> and I was like, girl group. Girl and you're group. like, a band, man. Look at that instrument. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I mean, everybody, you know, it's just our friend. It's just the scene, you know. Everyone was so rad and chilled. And, and yeah, of course, going to Spain, it was my First, a second time going overseas ever, and it's the best. I mean, going with your best friends <laughs> to Primavera, it's like, it was great. And so professional over there, just like treated us like we were a big deal, even though we're, you know, playing on the small stage. And <laughs> it was so professional and so amazing. I mean, I guess that's a big difference to South Africa to some degree. I mean, sure, everyone, like, you know, it's nice to you guys, but... Like, yeah, there's no showers. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm, I mean, yeah. South Africa, I mean, we, yeah, South Africa is its own special place where you have a different set of expectations. But yeah, you guys never really seem to, seem to mind, you know, getting stuck in the mud, basically. No, yes. We learned that first splashy fin about the mud. <laughs> and we did literally get stuck in that mud, but never again. <laughs> never again. You learned to wear gumboots. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, a metaphor for life, <laughs> or just literally, especially Ben. Uh, so, how did you, yeah, meet Jay Bones? Because Rambling Bones is also a big part of your musical career. Yes. So, Jay, um, so Japan and I had done a few tours. Well, obviously, we're just mega fans of Fuzzyish <laughs> um, since we were children. And then Japan and I, we did a tour with. I mean, yeah, we did a tour with them and just over the years got to know them. And then out of the blue, I think, I could be wrong. It's a long time ago. My memory is terrible. Uh, Jay asked if I wanted to sing a duet with him. And that is, wow, I'm pulling blanks. <laughs> that's so bad. No, that's not it's good. a long but, time ago. No, but it's like the main song. Sorry. Oh, just, yes. I know which song you're talking about. I also can't remember the name, but it's iconic. Why do <laughs> Baby shoes, jeez. Wow. Yes. Sorry, I'm just having stage fright. Um, baby shoes. So he asked me to come sing on that, and I was so nervous because it's Jay from Fezziers, and I was such a fan, and I was so intimidated. So anyway, we did that, and then I would come and sing that song live with them, and then I can't remember sort of how it evolved. 
I know at some point I was playing bass <laughs> and then <laughs> not very good bass. <laughs> and, that's not your particular instrument, is it? <laughs> no, no, but I mean, you get like, yeah, exactly. So there's transferable I skills. I did, yeah, there is some, but I did my best, but I won't, uh, yeah, claim to be any sort of amazing bassist. And then, yeah, and then just sort of became a permanent member uh, over the years and sort of more percussion and backup vocals and obviously started singing more with Jay and just sort of evolved into being a permanent member, just absorbed myself into the band. <laughs> it was great though. Uh, and it's been great. And what did you learn from working with Jay and the rest of, you know, the guys? Cause obviously they had a lot of fucking experience. Yes, for sure. What did I learn? Jeez. It's hard to think of, you know, you just do things that I always uh, reflect on. <laughs> I don't know. I think Jay's just an incredible songwriter and an awesome human to be around. Just an all-round amazing human being, as well as Eric and Leighton. And I know the band sort of has members that sort of come and go. Yourself included. Myself now included. But, yeah, I think just, I don't know, Jay's just a great uh, songwriter. And, and in general, like the profession – professionalism and you know, actually no maybe now that I've thought about it I think what I love the my favorite thing that I love about Jay is that he doesn't take anything serious too seriously you know but he's still professional and he's an amazing musician but like everything is just like playtime and having a good time and and just don't take not taking yourself very seriously so I think that was great coming from Japan and I as well to rambling it's not like the serious band where people get upset about band practice and there's when drama you do the photo and, and yeah, 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 exactly. And there's like a schedule, and you know, like the social all, media schedule as well. <laughs> exactly, it's like the complete opposite. It's like if you're not having fun, then like please don't be here. You know, this is all for a good time. You know, everyone else has their nine to five jobs, and that's serious. Sort of, uh, it's all time to be serious, but here it's just to have. Just for the love of music, basically. That's dope that there is that separation. I think that's something that Joburg bands did fairly well was the whole day job thing. And often in music as well, which allowed the bands to actually have a bit more freedom and be less dickheadish, I guess. Because if you don't, like if it's not, everything's not just riding on like the band making it, you can have a lot more fun. I know, but it's just such a pity because I went through a little bit of that with Japan and I because I was a little bit more keen on trying to push more. So I was the dickhead of Japan and I. You know, I was one pushing and like making, doing everything towards the end just because I, I think I was more keen to like have it go further. Um, sure. The girls were in different spaces and stuff. So you can't force it exactly. So, um, so I feel like someone like Jay is this very wise man who knows, you know, so it's like. He knows the balance. He knows the balance. And it's true. Like, I mean, it's sad. Of course, I would, I would absolutely do everything to do, only do music, um, as, and make money from that. Like, of course. But I've also sort of just been flexible and I just get it when, where, when and where I can. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also why now I'm a, the slaves on the, on the super yachts, you know, because you do have to make money eventually. <laughs> so, well, so. yeah, we're going to get into, this is literally what I was starting to think about. So I was like, I assume, yeah, that's why you went and worked on the yachts because it was something our friend Pascal did for a few years to pay for his pilot's license. And he made like a lot of fucking money doing (laughs) a lot of shit work. So was was that why you were inspired? You're like, I can go work for six months, like make a lot of money, come back and do what I love. Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to figure out that sort of balance. It's a bit hard being away and then coming back and then trying to figure out how to do the music thing because you know, stuff changes and um, I feel like a bit out the loop when I come back. But yes, no, look, eventually a lot of things, a lot of different things happen in life and, but it all boils down to, okay, I eventually had to be like, okay, I actually need money. <laughs> I'm in my thirties now. <laughs> I need to make my, everyone else has got money. Like I should probably get some. <laughs> well, I, I feel this way and I'm like turning 37. So I've, and trust me, I've thought about it so many times, but I always have like other stuff tying me down. But there's always been a part of me that's like, yeah, just go work on the ships for a while. <laughs> just, just, you know, it's not easy work and it's not easy to get work. Um, yeah. You got to walk the, the docks and stuff. You got to walk the docks. You got to, it's, and it's a quite something, you know, in your thirties, you know, I'm hanging out with that's, these something year olds. <laughs> that was also something I was thinking about. That must've been a big step for you though, because like there's obviously, 
you know, I don't know if there's a stigma or whatever, but it's, yeah, it is a thing that's usually done by younger people. Exactly. It's no one, it's no one said it to my face, but I I'm, think I'm pretty intuitive that I, I know <laughs> that it's a little bit harder for me as a stewardess because uh, the, oh, the sexism and that whole industry is, is miles behind, you know, sort of what I'm used to here in Joburg. You know, it's very sexist. Uh, you know, of course, they want young, hot stewardess ladies. <laughs> so even as a man wanting to be a stewardess, it's sexist and, you know, and vice versa. Of course, it's changed a lot. I think it must have been way worse. So I'm sure it's and it's evolving. Again, just lagging behind the rest of the sort of creative <laughs> world. So I, I do think I struggle to get a job just because some young chief stewardess doesn't want to hire someone in their 30s. To boss around, but you know, I, you know, I've, I've, I've managed. I've, I, uh, I eventually got a job, uh, and then once you have experience, it gets easier. Because yeah, you set up the network and stuff, and you have, like, I know the Yachtis are a whole culture of their own. It's a whole, it's networking, baby. Like everything is like <laughs> you have to literally. So that take you back to the early days of being in a band. <laughs> I mean, sure. I guess the drinking level is about the same. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit harder in the south of France, a little bit more pricier than 12 grand courts at London Calling. Um, Fuck. But, <laughs> yeah, the ethos is the same. I mean, no, it's like worlds apart, actually. There's nothing similar <laughs> at all that I could compare the yachting industry to. Um, it's been a real adventure for me in a lot of different ways. Just, it was nice to get out of Joburg, see the, uh, you know, just, I was doing a lot of work behind a computer, so it was nice to get away from that sort of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It was just nice for me, personally. <laughs> I needed a break. So there's a lot of perks, but it's a very strange and interesting and new industry for me. Like It was very eye-opening how the rest of the world functions when you've sort of been sheltered by this creative world in Joburg where all your friends are like-minded and have sort of ideas on life, and then you get thrown into yachting and there's a lot of ex-military sort of navy, navy captains and you know oh, it's wow. just a little bit more old school and, and yeah. the youth are all like just buying fucking like they're just spending their money on watches and like you know expensive <laughs> shit yeah just meeting like very different types of south africans and i'm like wow i live in a bubble in johannesburg <laughs> uh, <laughs> bless them all that i have met <laughs> uh no hate um, just, but yeah, just different, just very different, which is exciting in your thirties to do something like completely wildly different and then sort of impress yourself that you managed to survive it, you know, like when you challenge yourself, cause it is challenging. It's, it's really hard work. You're physically demanding. Yeah. And so the whole sort of sharing a cabin and sharing a small space with people for a very long time with not a lot of days off in between, or if you're lucky there is, but. And there's long hours and often the the guys who own the yachts are also often dickheads. They can be. I've been lucky, but yes, I've heard horror stories of dickheadery happening. Uh, <laughs> and, and crew. Honestly, the crew will, you can deal with shitty guests. Because they leave. Yes. Well, or, or just if your crew is tight, you know, if you have the, the, the backbone is like solid and you trust each other, you know, then it's, then it's um, bearable. But if the crew is bad, <laughs> then it's unbearable in every sense. Like, yeah, it can be quite awful if you have someone giving you a hard time on the boat. And I worry because I'll meet a lot of these young, like you stay in a crew house um, when you start. You have to go to Antibes, let's say, south of France. You stay in a crew house and you try and look for a job. You kind of have to be there, right? They don't want, they're not going to yeah. pay for you to come out from South Africa. So, and most of these, yeah, these are kids, like, sometimes under 20 years old and you know some of the stories you know of these young girls on these boats with these creepy old freaking engineers and captains who you know just sexually harass like this it's just so you know it's so prevalent still yeah and there's but no I, I hr departments exactly but i think it's changed a lot i think you know 20 years ago it must have been a free-for-all but now i have a feeling with just the whole world changing and women feeling more empowered or safe to speak up that I think it's definitely better, but it does, it's, it's very concerning. You know, when you think about these young women and these old men just take advantage, and I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm sure that could happen to young men as well, yeah. but yeah. So it, it is a very strange industry and 
but you make good friends. And I, I, I do think these like young women, like the one lady from the crew house she sort of spoke up and we were all like, just get out, get out. So it's sort of like has an inbuilt support system as well. Nice. Well, yeah, that's great to hear. Cause yeah, I mean, I've also heard some horror stories on that hmm. and <laughs> also heard some like funny stories. So any celebrity like guests and stuff? I mean, I not really. That you're allowed to talk honest. about okay, no. I know you do sign all these things, but to be to be honest, um, I had they like somewhat, but nothing really interesting. It was uh, like I said, I've been lucky. I've had they've been like Scandinavian owned, very chilled family vibes, so I can't complain. I've had it very easy. Now, do you um, take the kids out on the jet ski and stuff like that? <laughs> oh, the deckhands get to do that. I'm a stewardess. Oh, okay. You're not there yet. Um, okay. Different. I'm slaving away, yes. <laughs> but but yeah, I've been lucky at least because yeah, just hear awful stories about oh prostitutes and drugs and all this crazy stuff that you have to deal with and be discreet about and and I'm sure yeah, and certain cultures are like you know very awful towards women. So like I said, I've been lucky. The Scandinavians are very sort of down to earth, normal nice. millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> They're all used to it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> old money, <laughs> old money. Yeah. Uh, the only story like I've heard that like stuck with me was one of my friends was on the yachts and uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z were on the yacht uh, and apparently Jay-Z works out to his own music. Apparently. <laughs> I know this story and I think it's hilariously <laughs> embarrassing to know that about oneself. I mean, about them. What a list. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have any fun stories like that, but you know, it's still early days. If I make it for longer than yeah, one more thought about Working out to your own songs. Oh God, no! <laughs> I can, I can barely listen to him. Not be, not because I have any hate. It's just I think anyone you listen to yourself, you're like, oh, cringe. Trust um, me, editing these so things nothing. is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, and I, I probably will never. I'm never gonna listen to this either again. <laughs> I assume most people like don't, you know, when yes. they've been interviewed, especially for this long and that, because it is just like, oh fuck, I said that. Ah, oh, could have answered that better. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I trust me, I get that as well. Like when I'm editing, I'm just like, fuck, I could have asked a better question there. Like I interviewed Spook Matamba recently, and like I felt like I was just over prepared and had too much that I wanted to talk to him about that like I wasn't necessarily listening properly, you know? And listening yeah. back, I was just like, fuck, wasted opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a double-edged sword, if that's the right analogy. Like uh, where you, you as an artist, as, as a podcast man, you have to sort of listen to learn, right? Because that's a good insight. Yep. Like, oh, you weren't listening to him. You could have asked better questions. You know, same with music, of course, on a live show or god forbid a live show but or a recording <laughs> you know you're like yeah i really hate that guitar tone or sheesh i really could do those vocals better so yeah it's a sort of you gotta you gotta listen a little and then but you don't want to like get lost in that and just go into a spiral of self-hatred <laughs> <laughs> you gotta know when to cap it like where it's not productive anymore i suppose thing with live music though is like you don't really have the op option at least when you're doing it to really hate yourself too much because if you fuck up you make a mistake or you don't like the way you've sung something you immediately have to carry on so it's almost like th that's at least like in some ways i mean i know that almost with comedy as well it's like hey man i've, I've got to fix this now and carry on <laughs> like there's nothing i can fucking do about it but the recorded stuff is where things get like yeah a little more tricky like even watching like comedy sets back it's the worst because you're like, I thought they laughed harder at that when I was on stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even want to imagine life as a community. Like, yeah, that sounds like levels of excruciating trauma. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just I, I, um, I respect you guys. It's a very courageous thing to do because you are alone and you know, there's nothing to hide behind. You know, we uh, make these songs and then, you know, you sort of that's it. There you are, just all alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> respect. Um, uh, that actually, did you uh, did you ever watch Marvelous Miss Maisel? I did. I loved that show. Uh, there's a scene with the with the guy who plays Lenny Bruce, well, with Lenny Bruce on the show, where he sings that song all alone, and like basically talking about like 
yeah, like losing love and whatever for the, his career. And it was just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you having a moment there. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit too relatable. And yeah. I, mean, I guess I can like talk a little bit, like what's dating like as a musician? Because I know that's something that not everyone, especially for you who tours, like with also now you're traveling and stuff. And then also with the music and just having all these other people in your life and that you know how's that been are the people who understand or has it been a bit of a struggle um no i think most of the time i've just been single (laughs) 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 that makes it really simple (laughs) no i've had so many lovely boyfriends along the way and no most of them have been only supportive and amazing like uh I don't think I toured enough with over the years for it to become, you know, I wish I had that problem. Like, oh, it's always on tour and it really puts strain on this relationship. But no, not at all. I mean, I, yeah, just supportive no jealousy people. vibes about, you know, your fame. Oh, of course. Okay. I mean, maybe back in the day when we were young and they were young and dumb. I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm sure they're all old and, you know, different now. You know, you're young. Of course, you're going to get jealous and stuff. But no, not, I mean, I, Maybe I'm forgetting. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like, ah, oh, it's all good. Repress the trauma, repress the trauma. <laughs> okay, you're right. Actually, it's starting to come back to me now. But I'm certainly not going to get into that now. <laughs> no, we don't have to. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, sure, some some along the way, but uh, that's I just imagine <laughs> that being a bit tricky because I remember, like, it, like, mostly with, you know, the guy bands and stuff, the girlfriends, you know, there was always some placating that had to be done to some degree because like, you know, you have all the girls coming up after the show and like, yeah, you don't know what happens when bands go on tour and things like that, you know? Exactly. And no partners allowed on tour because we've had when they are allowed and then one of the couples are fighting and it's drama and it totally ruins the vibe (laughs) because touring is the best. So yeah, no partners allowed. That's a rule that should be adhered to. Uh, <laughs> I think for all times, but yes, we just certainly had sort of that. I mean, we didn't have sort of, we actually, we weren't, you know, that famous that people were, you know. Yeah. But after shows, people would come up to you. Yes, of course. And I, I think I mostly just, yeah, had, I can think of a few incidences. Sure. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty okay. So cheers to the exes for that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> not not all of them. Just most of them. Just most <laughs> you know, of them. Hey, that's a good ratio, <laughs> I think. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like when I hear some people talk about the exes and then I'm like, but you you made that choice. <laughs> that was- yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, it all comes down to my excellent choice of men, yes. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm saying. Like, personally, I look back on all my exes, I'm like, yeah, they're all rad as fuck. Like, you know, like, I don't really have any issues with them. I'm like, they, they were right to call it when they did, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'd have no hate, no hate, no animosity to any of my previous lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fair enough. Okay, I think we're going to head on out. And so I will ask you the question I'll ask everyone on this podcast. And that is, what is the big mistake that you've learned an important lesson from? Oh, geez. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just one? (laughs) I mean, we've still got Uh, some time. Like, how long do you have? (laughs) Uh, prepared. Uh, let me just get my answers for this. All my all my mistakes written down. Get out no, your diary. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't. Oof. I think it wasn't so much a mistake. It's more just there was this very tough period, in sort of late, starting late twenties, ending early thirties, um, where I was sort of really stuck, like really suffering from some mental issues, I suppose. Um, sure. So, and it just was so, such an unfruitful, uncreative, unproductive time of my life. So, wait, what was the question? <laughs> What's the big mistake you've learned an important from? lesson from? We are, we are important. Okay, we're learning lessons. So I was like, is it a regret? Or, okay. I, I guess the lesson there was, well, you know, I had to go through it, I guess. And then I eventually sought help through various uh, methods. And, and I'm doing so much better now. And feeling so much more, yeah, like 
yeah, just whole again. <laughs> so I guess the lesson would be if you know if you're really struggling with some sort of uh, if you're feeling really stuck and you've been there for a really really long time, like get help. <laughs> it's okay <laughs> because it took me a long time to figure that out, and I, I wish it had just been a shorter time because <laughs> I would have, you know, just had more years to enjoy. But at the same time, ah, uh, you know, fuck it. You, you learn so much. I learn so much and I have more empathy for people who come across as awful people. And then you sort of understand that they're probably just being the worst to themselves. So, and you know, you like, you learn from all of that. So, no, I totally get that. Is your therapist going to be proud of you for finally <laughs> saying yes to coming on this podcast? Because <laughs> I know it's been like a, a, a thing for you where you've been like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What am I going to say? Like, I don't know yes. if I should do it. <laughs> I know. Because I've not been into, like interviewed or alone before, you know. I've only ever done it with the band. And oh, what? Really? Security blanket in that. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not some sort of famous been person bit of a- alone. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I get you've also always kind of made music with other people, so that does make sense. Yes. I, w- I wish I was a solo artist. Uh, that is something I still wish to achieve. Yeah, so why not? I, You know, I've just not been a strong enough guitarist, but there's other ways that I'm working on. So one day, because I remember when you asked originally, I was like, I want something to promote. like, yeah. And now I've done this amazing thing, you know. Um, ta-da! <laughs> Now we can get uh, you back once you so yeah, release your debut. <laughs> <laughs> but one day there will be, uh, I hope to, because that will feel like a huge tick for me to have done something sort of alone and, you know, released it into the world. So I hope to still do that. And I think, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, I'm obviously looking forward to that because, I think I've mentioned it once or twice. I'm a big fan of your work. So yeah, get cool. that done. You're, believe believe in yourself. It's also like, you know, guitaring doesn't need to be the most technical shit, you know? Like I love country. I love folk music. I love punk. I love all these things. And like, you know, you, you're a good storyteller. So you don't necessarily need to be writing these sick tracks, you know? Yes. No, exactly. It's more just, uh, and there's so many other things, you know, I mean, sort of learning Ableton and well, a very amateur level, but you know, it's fun. It's just fun to play with. Um, so I think it's just hard with yachting now. It's sort of a lot. It's not like a nine to five where you can also then still do music. So I don't really have a plan, but I hope to have the time to sort of just like lock myself away for a while and then make a solo thing and then. And then that will feel like quite a big accomplishment for me. So I hope to do that. But we'll see. No promises. Um, I'm obviously looking forward to that. Cool. But cool. Thank you for your time. This has been great just getting to catch up again because it's it's been it's been a minute. I think the last time I might have seen it was like Mini Pop. So, yeah. No way. It's been years. And a very happy birthday to you tomorrow. Don't be scared. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're all in this together. That's what I'm scared of. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I hope you have a therapist you can talk to that about. (laughs) Uh, We'll get there. (laughs) Awesome, my friend. So lovely to catch up. So that was Angela. And yeah, man, it really was truly lovely to get to catch up with her. Because, yeah, it's been a few years since we've hung out. And it's always been fun, man. Like I, like I said, like I absolutely love Angie's vocals. But I also just think she's a wonderful person. And every time we've ever spent time together, it's been a good time. Like it's just been fun. It's just been no no worries, bro. So, yeah, this was, this was such a dope chat. And we actually had a great chat afterwards that I wish we had kind of recorded. But I know... Maybe she wouldn't have wanted some of all of it to come out. And I'm not going to tell you like the specifics. But we were just talking about the whole thing of being in your 30s, having you know, pursued a creative career and having had stuff go well for a while. But then as time goes on, as industries have changed, as everything, like we mentioned, you know, the way the media used to work versus how it does now, it's made things very difficult in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, we were just chatting about that, man. Just the whole struggle of being financially stable in your 30s in a creative career, which, once again, I guess, is why she went and worked on the yachts. And that's been 
that's been helping, but also creates a little bit of a difficulty when it comes to pursuing your creative pursuits. So yeah, man, that, like I say, that was a really fun chat. Like I found so much of it relatable because as I'm sure you are aware, if you've been listening to these, uh, what, what's, what's the end of this shit called? I can't remember right now, but these little sections <laughs> that I took that yeah like financially things are a bit of a struggle like shit hasn't necessarily been going as smoothly as it could be and with like that's the thing and being writing at the moment is just fucking pointless man it's so fucking pointless because there's like nowhere to get published anymore and all the copywriting and that nonsense is being done by ai and shit so there's like no space for real writing to get published and all the bullshit writing that i used to do because yeah i consider copywriting to just be fucking mindless dumb fucking irrelevant nonsense 90 percent of the time but hey it's paid some bills so i do it but yeah even that work has dried up quite a lot so you know i've been trying to pivot and shit i've been fucking learning things i've been trying to <laughs> yeah trying to see where i can fit in somewhere else but without much success for a while now. But yeah, the other option that we will have been looking at is just the film side of things with the Not Quite Right crew and that. We do have a few scripts that we want to get made. And so we're going to be applying for funding and those sorts of things. And hey, man, hopefully that's an avenue that might work out. But even that I know is it's a long shot, man. Everything these days seems to be a fucking long shot when it comes to yeah being financially <laughs> secure but whatever man uh i guess that kind of stuff is why like on wednesday and also just because you know a lot of stuff has changed in my life over the last few years especially obviously since covid and the stuff with my grand and grandfather i'm not gonna get into all of it now but if you've been listening for a while you kind of know the deal and so yeah i woke up not exactly like in the best headspace but I'm really grateful because a lot of people were just fucking lovely, man. Got a lot of lovely messages from people who I love and respect. And then also a lot of strangers on Facebook. You just go, happy birthday, happy birthday. Like, I don't know, like, do people wake up every day and look at, like, the birthday things on Facebook and just wish everyone? Because I didn't even know who some of those people were. But thank you, I guess. Like, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you don't have someone's phone number then you probably don't need to wish them happy birthday. <laughs> but yeah, man, like I said, my, my girlfriend, yo, she made me feel incredibly special. Her gift giving is next fucking level. I am, I'm worried <laughs> for her birthday now. I'm like, shit, at least I've got like quite a few months, but I'm going to have to step my fucking game up because she over delivered and just really made me feel special. And yeah i guess as i said like i woke up and i wasn't feeling very special at all and yeah getting to spend time with her all day and getting to spend time with the not quite right crew and quite a few of the comedians and quite a few of the crowd like they were they came out and partied with us afterwards which was pretty dope and i mean it was kind of interesting because most of the people who were at the show had no clue who i was they just saw the post online and they came through and they seemed to have a good time but that was like i wasn't expecting that you know i was expecting to just get up there to a crew of people who i already knew to a lot of friendly faces and the faces were friendly they just weren't familiar we landed up having a great time although yeah i will admit that it did bum me out a little bit that there weren't more familiar faces in the crowd but you know what they say your friends aren't your fans and that is especially true for my friends. <laughs> anyway, that brings us to the shoutouts. Every week at the end of the podcast, go shoutouts to the titular titles tier over at patreon.com. It's a $10 tier, it's a top tier, etc. etc. Anyway, shoutouts to Rousseau, the storage clerk of subtle heresies in the lesser Overberg region. Russell Grant, the Far East correspondent. Neil Green, the key group. Karan Chetty, the assistant to the regional manager. Kath Jenkins, the inevitable ruler of the universe, and Queen Swifty, and Stephen Olivier, the executive producer. Big thank you to Damien Root for the bed music and the banging intro you hear each and every single week. And lastly, shoutouts to you. I will catch you 
on the flip side.